If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this March 25th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. And this podcast also happens to be the uh, the place where you can get the real truth about the never-ending Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky scandal. And the reason why I'm mentioning that now is that in the next couple of weeks, there are going to be several developments uh, of which I am uh, a significant part. All of this surrounding the fact that HBO is going to be airing their movie there entitling Paterno, which is largely about, apparently, and I'm sure in a very fairy tale sort of way, the entire Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky scandal, which erupted back in November of 2011. That is slated for April the 7th. And in this particular segment, I'm going to do a couple of things. I'm going to give you a major update on what my plans are uh, to try to combat, in whatever way I can, the false narrative that that movie is going to further elevate. Uh, but also, as a very small part of doing that, I'm going to be releasing a brand new interview that I have never done before. Uh, it's uh, pretty recent, and it's also very relevant. In fact, if you understand the case, you can make a strong argument that this one interview does about as much as anybody could to prove that the entire case is a fraud, that all of it, that everything that you thought you knew, everything you've been told by a media that is invested in this as deeply as a five-year-old is in the Santa Claus myth, that everything you've been told is wrong. It's with an ex-girlfriend of Aaron Fisher, the number one victim in the case, the only accuser in this case, for two years. People don't need, people need to understand, they don't understand just how important that is. That for the first two years of this investigation, Jerry Sandusky, allegedly a 40-year-long pedophile, had one accuser for two years by the state attorney general's office of Pennsylvania. That's right. They, they looked everywhere they could for two years. They, they got one guy. One guy. And uh, I have yet another. This will be the 13th interview that I haven't made them all public. But this is the 13th by my count, depending... There's a little ambiguity as to whether or not the number might be higher than that, depending on who you count. But this would be the 13th interview that I have done on the record, either audio or via messaging on Facebook, most of them on audio, a couple of them on video, where somebody very, very close, I'm talking exceedingly close to Aaron Fisher, the number one victim in this case, accuser in this case, has come forward to me unprovoked, <laughs> and told me against their own self-interest a story that is completely inconsistent with Aaron Fisher ever having been a victim of Jerry Sandusky. And if Aaron Fisher is not a victim of Jerry Sandusky, it's really pretty simple. It's garbage in, garbage out. You can't have the first accuser, the only one for two years, be a fraud, and yet all of this avalanche that occurred be legitimate. Instead, what you really have, in my view, and the view of many other people who have looked at it almost as closely as I have, is that you have a false story 
creating a domino effect, which turns into an avalanche that everyone becomes invested in. And it's the perfect storm that never ends. And HBO is part of that on April 7th. So I'm going to get to that interview momentarily. But first, I want to give you the update on what's been going on with my uh, feeble efforts to try to fix this thing, even though I, I know that it will never be fixed because, I mean, after all... Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No, we never give up, but <laughs> there's very little hope of winning this one. But I know that with the HBO movie that this is really the last best shot because we've accumulated an enormous amount of new information that's never been made public. But you need a couple things. Mainly, you need a major media outlet that's willing to publish what we have. And in order for that to happen, you need a news hook. There has to be a reason. And so this HBO movie is probably the last legitimate news hook until Sandusky dies. And then that'll be you know a story for 18 minutes and then it'll be over. But I mean, the, the reality is this is probably it. And in anticipation for that, as I mentioned in the last uh, edition of the podcast, a, a former L.A. Times and Philadelphia Inquirer reporter named Ralph Cipriano and I have been working for many months, far too many months, far, far, far too many months, on uh, what has always been intended to be a cover story for a major magazine that's going to be exceedingly long, probably the longest magazine story of its type in the modern era. Uh, and it's still not long enough because there's just so much that you have to get into to understand what really happened. I mean, the other side can tell you their story in a tweet. We have to break everything down and paint an entirely different picture because there's been so much misinformation, so many lies, so many distortions, so many misperceptions. And our standard, our burden of proof is so ridiculously high. So without getting into all the details that I went into last time, it, the last few months has been an absolute uh, torturous ordeal for both me and for Ralph. Ralph, probably more so than me recently, because I made a, a critical decision, which was not easy, especially for someone like me who's a control freak. I made the decision that I realized this was not going to get done if I remained directly involved word for word in what's going to be in the story. It just was not going to work. My personality is not compatible to it. My patience level is not compatible. I, I, uh, I, this is not my uh, bailiwick. This is not my wheelhouse. I've never done this before. Ralph has. So, you know, basically I have had to take uh, not really a step back because I've been intimately involved in all of it and rewritten it a Dozens of times, probably, but uh, on an on actual, you know, word by word, syllable by syllable basis, I, I have been out of the process, which scares the living day, daylights out of me, not just because I'm a control freak, but because this thing is so complex and so involved and there have been so many changes and like anything else. It's like a machine, right? If you take one piece out of one part of the machine and you stick it into another piece of the machine. You don't know what's going to work until you test it. And I am exceedingly, uh, I got so many concerns, but one of my concerns is that if this actually launches as is currently planned, uh, there's got to be a problem or a mistake or somebody's going to claim a, a factual error or something. Something has got to slip through the cracks because the process here is incredibly dysfunctional. And really through no fault of any individual. It's just an incredibly screwed up situation. Now, I have been saying for quite a long time that this was planned. It keeps getting pushed back. The movie, though, is the drop dead date. And everyone knows that. And so that's actually good, I guess, unless something catastrophic happens in the next few days, which, given our luck, could easily occur. But I've always said that while I've used the, uh, the metaphor of the gun, right? The gun is loaded. They've said they want to fire the gun. But is someone going to get cold feet at the last minute and not fire the gun? I'm not sure that's the best analogy. I've thought of maybe a better analogy as I've, as I've been pondering all this. But for the record, uh, I do think that there is every intention to fire this gun. 
Unfortunately, and this did not surprise me because I've been predicting it and I've told Ralph this, whether it's conscious or subconscious or both, there is a, um, a muffling of the gun. There has been a, uh, I don't know if you would call it a silencer that's been put on the gun, uh, but there, there's definitely been some things that have happened which have been, uh, well, R Ralph has been devastated by them. I, I expected them. So I, I, I think Ralph has been stunned that I wasn't incensed uh, over some of the things that have happened over the last uh, few days. But I expected it because I, I know how this media game works. It's all about who has the leverage, when they have the leverage. And then oftentimes the leverage shifts fairly dramatically right at the end. Like, for instance, they now know, they probably always did, but this magazine now knows for sure we have nowhere else to go before the Paterno movie. It's absolutely impossible for us to get this out anywhere else other than maybe our own websites, which no one would care about, uh, before the Paterno movie. So therefore, whether again, conscious or subconscious, they feel like they have all the power and they can you know, do whatever they want and we're going to roll over. Of course, they don't know me. <laughs> Ralph knows me and Ralph knows that ain't going to happen. So he's kind of been relying on me to be the guy that goes, uh, hold on here. There are, are certain lines. I get it. I, I get that there's got to be a compromise. I get that uh, this is a unique situation. I get everyone is really, really concerned about the backlash on this. I get it more than anybody else does. But there is a line beyond which I will not go. And, uh, and the analogy that I think probably best uh, illustrates this is I have been helping to build this. Uh, let me back up a second. The truth of this case is stuck on Mars. All right. Uh, Joe Paterno's reputation, Jerry Sandusky's in prison, his, his innocence, the administrators, it's on Mars. They're all stuck on Mars, all right? They're impossible to get to. But we've we're been building this rocket ship for the last several years for one shot to maybe get to Mars in time to save them. And it's a lot, it is a super long shot, okay? But I have vowed to never give up until there's no other option. So we've been building this ship to try to launch with our one window of opportunity to get to Mars to save everybody. Now, unfortunately, uh, I've not had total control over the building of the rocket ship. And there are a lot of people now involved in the building of the rocket ship who have no idea what they're doing. And it's not their fault. It's because the case is just so damn involved. They're also not nearly as invested. They don't really care about saving anybody from Mars. They just want to make sure the rocket ship doesn't blow up on them. That's all they care about. So as this rocket ship has been built, I have been exceedingly concerned and increasingly concerned that it is going to blow up on liftoff. Uh, I don't know how far off a liftoff, but, you know, certainly nowhere near Mars, which I've always expected. That's that's never been a shock to me. I've accepted this. This is what the weirdest part of this fight has been. I've always known I was going to lose. OK, always known. But I've always felt like this was a fight that had to be fought. Somebody had to fight it. It's too important. It's too much of a travesty. Too many innocent people were harmed. And it's so emblematic of everything that is wrong with our society and our media, how truth does not matter, that substance doesn't matter, that it's all about whatever people want to believe. It's all about what's popular. That's the part of this that is all, you know, there, there's the injustice part. But frankly, that doesn't drive me as much anymore because I've accepted that the injustice cannot be fixed. And frankly, most of the people, not all, but most of the people who've had the injustice done to them, I don't give a fuck about it anymore. They've pissed me off so much over the last five or six years. Fuck them. You know what? Fuck them. They, 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 got what they, they got what they deserved only for the totally wrong reasons. Completely wrong reasons. But you know what? In a weird, bizarre way, because of cowardice and stupidity and being a jackass, a lot of these people, again, not all, but a lot of them deserve what they got. So it's the injustice part, well, it's completely screwed up. Completely screwed up. 
it doesn't keep me awake at night anymore. The part that keeps me awake at night still, though, is that this can happen. And that no one will even know about it except for a very few people because of how broken our system is and how broken the media is. So that's a large part of what drives me. In fact, my goal out of this, if I still, it's just a pathetic goal considering how much time, effort, uh, aggravation, uh, risk that I put into this thing. My goal at this point is that we can actually have a record proving not just what really happened in this case as much as we possibly can within reason, but also just proving w- what a fraud the whole system is. That, that the truth really does not make a damn bit of difference anymore. It really does not. In complicated situations where the truth is unpopular, it's got no shot. None. So, anyway, I, uh, at one point this week, when uh, we got some really bad news about what was going to go down with this uh, story, and Ralph, as I said, was more upset than me, I... Uh, I basically had made the decision. I, I wasn't 100% there, but I was about 80% to saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to pull the plug. Uh, I would rather this thing just not run at all or run without me. You know, And what they would do without me, I don't, I'm not sure because, <laughs> I mean, Ralph is, I think, as confused as I would be is what, what the heck they're going to do. If, if my stuff is taken out, I, I can't even imagine logistically how in the world they... They still have a story or even could run a story. But I, I, don't, I hope we don't even get to that point. When I got to that point, I, I did what I've done several times in this case. <laughs> and, I've, and I've gone to the moral conscience of this case. Uh, and that is Franco Harris, NFL Hall of Famer, Pittsburgh Steeler legend, guy who has several statues in the city of Pittsburgh. And I called Franco up. I said, Franco. And Franco is the only person in this entire fiasco who I have greater respect for now than I did at the beginning. I mean, Franco's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I mean, he's a Democrat, for heaven's sakes. How perfect could he be? But I digress. But the point is is that there's nobody else I have more respect for now than I did at the beginning, except for Franco. And I said, Franco, uh, here's the situation, and I'm really getting worried, and this is not going to be the story that I wanted or Ralph wanted, and... It's going to be amazing in a lot of ways, assuming it goes as planned, but it's just, it's not going to be what it should be. And there's a lot of concerns I have about it. And I'm thinking about bailing. And once again, much to my surprise, Franco said, you got to do it. You got to go forward. We've come too far. Now, Franco, to be clear, is not 100% on board with my view of the case. He's pretty close, but... He's got to. I He's got to protect himself because he's famous. I, I'm not. So I don't have statues in the uh, in the Pittsburgh International Airport next to George Washington and monuments and all that kind of stuff. So Franco's got to protect himself, and I totally get it and 100 percent support that. But the point here is, we've been on the same team. We've been in the same foxhole now for five plus years, and Franco said, "No, we, this is this is. It doesn't matter if this is not perfect. This could reopen everything. Uh, we got to. We cannot give up." So do whatever you can do. So with that, I said, okay, I will eat the 135th crap sandwich that I have eaten on this thing. And so I I ate that crap sandwich, and this is still in the work. Now, I'm still convinced something bad's going to happen between now and the plan, but here's here's what I understand the plan to be. We we thought we were going to come out with the online version this week. I no longer believe that that's happened. It is possible, like maybe Thursday or Friday. I I don't think so. I I now think that would actually be a bad idea, not that I have a lot of control over that. Uh, I think the most likely scenario, assuming this thing doesn't implode, is that the um, online version, which will be, I believe, everything that we have that the magazine has approved of, of running, will be on Monday, April 2nd. And there's some problems with that day. It's the national championship basketball game that day. It's, uh, I believe, baseball opens up that day. Uh, but, you know, it's a Monday, and it's the week that the Paternal movie uh, airs on that Friday. In the magazine, it, it should be out on April the 6th. Um, 
And, you know, is that perfect? No. Uh, but you know what? Uh, part of this plan has always been that we would get a major interview out of this thing, which would help facilitate buzz. I now no longer believe that that's going to happen. I, 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 I am convinced, and this is incredibly depressing to me because this was a large part of whatever plan there was that could have theoretically made this thing work. Um, but um, I, I no longer believe that that's going to happen. It's, there's a, several reasons for it. Part of it's disarray, having nothing to do with the story. Um, there, but I am now convinced that assuming that this thing even goes as remotely planned, the rest of the media is going to do a combination of ignoring us and destroying us. It's going to be an ignore-destroy job. And uh, they'll get to destroy us without even having either of us on to respond. Which is something, by the way, you would never have been done in the past, but now that's like normal. Because there's so many media outlets now, everyone presumes, well, we couldn't get you on. Well, you didn't ask. <laughs> but it's now accepted, especially in a topic like this. You can just destroy somebody without even having them on. And then, so I, I think that that's going to be the response to this. And, and we probably won't even get a chance to tell our side of the story uh, other than, you know, the small venues that, that I have via Mediate, maybe, and and some other places, but that's going to be the most depressing part uh, of this whole situation that if this goes down as I anticipate, but that's the timeline. And assuming that all goes down, we are planning to do a, uh, a couple of different podcast episodes related to that with some information and some uh, audio that is pretty amazing. That's never been aired before. So that'll be coming from again, tentatively planned, uh, from the World According to Zig podcast. Uh, so you won't want to miss that. So there, next week could be very interesting. <laughs> could, or or I may just say, you know what? Fuck this whole thing. I'm out of here. Goodbye. So long, everybody. Have a good life. I'm done. I'm done with this. Get it off my back. So either or. It's gonna be either or situation, depending on, you know, 220, 222, whatever it takes, depending on the breaks. All right. Um, now, as I mentioned, uh, in preparation for this, and I and this is apparently mentioned in the, the current version of the story, I wanted to air a via this podcast an interview that I have never revealed before. And it's not earth shattering in itself unless you understand the case. Because as I've said, there's just really only two keys to this whole case, as complicated as it seems to people who really haven't followed it. There's Aaron Fisher, victim number one, and there's Mike McQuery, the, the guy from the assistant coach and grad assistant at the time who allegedly saw some sort of a sexual act, which he didn't, never said he did. He heard things. He didn't even see things. The, the kid that was there that day says nothing ever happened, said it numerous times as a married Marine. All this has been out there to some degree and hopefully will be out there again soon in a, to a much bigger degree. But with Aaron Fisher... The, the, the media and the, and the prosecution like to pretend now that Aaron Fisher is a minor player in this because he's very inconvenient, but he's everything. And recently, the 13th person, her, her name is Megan Kern. Megan Kern, just out of the blue, contacted me and said, hey, um, can I talk to you about Aaron Fisher? I'm like, sure. Now, I've gotten a lot of can I talk to you about such and such or mostly about Aaron Fisher because he's a public figure. He wrote a book, which I urge you to read if you care about this case. I've actually given out copies of his book to members of the media in a very fiery press conference, which you can see at framingpaterno.com, our website on this thing, which is frankly worth the, the few minutes anyway from just an entertainment perspective. But the book, I think, proves the whole case is a sham. If you read the book with any kind of open mind and any knowledge, you're like, what the hell is this? I mean, it, it, it is real. It is literally it's just flat out ridiculous. It is. It is a ridiculous book. And it's written by Aaron, allegedly Aaron Fisher, his mom and his therapist. And uh, although it's co-written, I don't think Aaron could write anything if he needed to. And I don't think his mom could either. But, but that's another story for another day. Anyway, so I get a lot of these messages. And I've kind of gotten trained to, 
I feel like, oh, God, I got to go through this again. Because most of the time, here's what's going to happen. Either the person won't have anything really good or more likely they're going to chicken out. Because that's what almost always happens. I've had this happen numerous times where they think they want to do the right thing and then they start to think about it and then they get cold feet and they wimp out and then I got to go through all this aggravation. And I, you know, I'm, it's just a pain in the ass. But Megan, weirdly, was fantastic. There was no hassle at all. And I spoke to her for a few minutes just to make sure she was on the up and up and make sure what the facts were and kind of get a, you know, a lay of the land. And basically it was this that she had dated Aaron Fisher before the case became public. Just after Aaron says his abuse by Jerry Sandusky ended. Although it's difficult to know exactly when that date is because Aaron changed his timeline four times. So I'm going by the most, the most sympathetic view of Aaron's story that so about a year after, and this would have been when Aaron was about uh, 16 years old, somewhere in this range, uh, 16 years old, Aaron is having a, a, a sexual relationship with Megan. She's very clear about that. They were having sex. Uh, now, <laughs> if you come from my generation, 16-year-olds having sex regularly seems awfully odd, uh, especially when you were a geek like me. I never came close to having sex at 16, whether I wanted to or not. Uh, but one of the reason why this is important is because the, the caricature or the narrative or the image that was created by the prosecution and the media of Aaron Fisher is, oh, oh such a sweet little boy, um, so naive, Look at that picture of him. He's just just a little boy being taken advantage of by by that nasty, mean, horrible monster pedophile, Jerry Sandusky. He didn't know anything about sex, had no idea what was going on, and, and somehow just found himself in what he would later testify to be 100 or more cases of uh, oral sex with Jerry Sandusky without having any idea what was happening. Now, this is a guy who is a... a, a a wrestler he was a, as a as a teenager he was on wrestling teams in fact there's video of him kicking the ass of a 35 year old neighbor uh, around the same time period i mean he knew what he was doing as a wrestler and he was a budding track star okay so a strong kid who's in his when he when he meets jerry he's in the 13 to 14 year old range and by numerous accounts numerous his own buddies as well as other girlfriends, he's already having sex. Now, I don't believe him when he says that he told one of his friends he's had sex with 300 girls. Now, okay, now that's, come on. That's just- It's just flat out ridiculous. That's not true. But the point of this is, one, he's a liar. That's that's indicate, you know, the, the idea that he's telling his friends he's had sex with 300 girls and he's telling the court, I had oral sex with Jerry Sandusky a hundred times. Like, that's like classic lies, right? You're just making crap up. But I digress. The point of this is, regardless of how many times he was having sex with girls, he knew what sex was. He was very much aware of what sex was and was frankly, quite proud of his sexual prowess. I've had this from numerous people. So I, I wanted to get from Megan her reaction to having had a sexual relationship with Aaron before this story becomes public. This, this time period is incredibly important because the investigation is ongoing. It's late 2010, the best we can tell. The investigation is ongoing, yet Aaron never even He's been involved with this investigation for two years. He never mentions this to his girlfriend. Never mentions Jerry Sandusky. Now I get it. He's sexually abused. He doesn't want to talk about it. Well, no. Listen to her describe their relationship. And this is a woman who was a sex abuse victim herself. So here she is, a sex abuse victim, describes her relationship, which was overtly and very sexual with Aaron Fisher, the number one accuser in the Jerry Sandusky case, who, if he's not telling the truth, the whole damn case blows up. So here is a large portion of my conversation 
very recently with Megan Kern. Tell me why you you um, just decided now in the, in March of 2018 to contact me on Facebook. Um. Well, the thing is, I don't like about Aaron. He, I've always known like the real Aaron, and a lot of people don't know the real Aaron. They've only known what they see on. In the media, and you know the media is sometimes fake and doesn't really spread the right stuff. Sometimes it spreads lies, and I'd, I'd like people to know the real truth about him. Okay, now you're talking about Aaron Fisher, right? Yes. Now, you described yourself as a former girlfriend of, of Aaron's. What, yes. Can you tell, tell me what you mean by that? Well, this is I dated him after all this went on. Before they went to court with all the sanctions, it was like in 2011. It was around when I was in high school. Now, uh, hold on. Let's hold, let's stop you there. So, you, you when you say after all this happened, you started dating him in 2011. Now, 2011 is that before or after Jerry was arrested? Before I um. I dated Aaron way before um, he was even arrested, before all the sanctions came out. Okay. Now, obviously, you realize there's two different things you're talking about. There's Jerry's arrest and then the, the sanctions against Penn State, which came later, right? So, oh, yeah. That was way before both of them. Okay. So, but you think it was 2011, just to refresh your recollection, Jerry was arrested in November of 2011. About how long did you date Aaron? Okay. Um... I know I dated Aaron in high school. I don't recall. I know it was um, when I lived in Lamar. Lamar is like close to Mill Hall, Lock Haven. My, my mom was dating, um, well, was married to this guy named Mark, and he lived out there, and that's where we lived. I moved. So I would have to say it would have to have been in high school at some point. It was either 2010 or 2011. Well, let's try to figure but this out. Let's try to figure it out. What year did you graduate? I graduated in 2013. And from Central Mountain High School? No, I graduated from Belfont Area High School. Okay, so you and Aaron went to different schools then? Yes. Okay, so you graduated in 2013, the spring of 2013. So. Can you recollect what year in college, I mean, high school, I'm sorry, high school that you would have dated Aaron? I mean, from from your recollection, we're talking about freshman or sophomore year. Does that sound yes, right? I would have been, yes. It was either freshman or sophomore year in high school. Okay. And do you remember what approximately how long you dated him? I didn't date him, Aaron, too long because of the situation. He <laughs> He wasn't really a good boyfriend. That's how much I would say. Um, he actually dated my stepsister, Kayla. Kayla, I, I and then what? And I think I know Kayla. Kayla's last name. Yeah, Latchet. Yes. What's her last name my again? Sister. Kay- Latchet. 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 L A C H T. And now, did she? Did he date Kayla before or after you? Way before me. Okay. Now. I, I'm not that interested. I mean, I'm, we can get into it later, but I, I, I'm not that interested right now in how good a boyfriend Aaron was, but I'm just trying to get the, the basics here. So can you give me an approximate time that you dated Aaron for? I would have to say I dated him for probably a few months, maybe two months. Or so. Okay. But this I was. I know it wasn't too long. Okay, but this was before Jerry was arrested. Yes. And, and, uh, and we think it was 2010, 2011. So during this time period, the investigation was hot and heavy. I mean, that, that was the. Uh, oh, yeah. And I had no idea because I. No one told me anything, and Kayla sure as hell didn't tell me. And if she would have told me, I would have never even went out with Aaron to begin with. If she had told you what? If she would have told me the sanctions that were going on and he was behind stuff that was probably lies, I probably would have never went out with Aaron. Did, did Kayla know this? Yes. 
she knew before me, and she didn't tell me. <laughs> she knew. She knew. She knew what before you? Well, she went to the um, court case and everything about Aaron. So she that was way before I dated Aaron. Okay. So she was like. Okay, hold on a second. Younger. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> We're getting our time timetable mixed up here, because Kayla couldn't have gone to court with Aaron. She didn't go to court with Aaron for the first time. That's what I was told, that she was, she knew, like, the first court case, because she was dating him around that time. That's what I was told. Now, I don't know. Okay, hold on a second. I'm not, I'm I'm just trying, I'm just trying to, and I realize it's a long time ago now, and and things can get confusing. (laughs) So... Kayla dated Aaron way before you, which would have meant that that was when Aaron was like early teenager, right? Like a 13 or 13, 14, something like that? Yes. Okay. But there was... She dated... Go ahead. She knew him. I'm wondering, I think she just knew him back then. I don't think she necessarily dated him. Okay. But, um... I know she knew him for a long period of time, and I think around the time he went to court for the first case, she knew him, and I don't know why she didn't, but that's what I heard. Okay, let's just talk about what you know, all right? So let's let's rewind, okay? So sometime around freshman or sophomore year... And let's be clear, your senior your senior spring is 2013, which means that your sophomore spring would have been 2011. Uh, so, so you might have been you might have been dating him. It sounds like sometime during your sophomore year, either in the fall or the spring. Does that make sense? Yes. Do you remember what time of year it was, by any chance? Okay, so fall fall of 2010 it sounds like our most likely time period. Does that does that fit right for you? Yes. That would have been the beginning of your sophomore year. Mhm. Okay. Now, how did you meet Aaron? I met Aaron through my stepsister Kayla, who had already and, who had already dated him. Yes, and I I met Aaron through through her. But she was not dating him at she was not dating him when you met Aaron. No. Okay. I know all I know is she was pretty upset that I was dating Aaron. She was upset about so, it? She she didn't like that I uh, she said my stepsister and I kind of went after her boyfriend, but in all reality I thought she was over him. Okay. She said she was. Well, it sounds like it was a long time before, but okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Anyway, so tell me about your relationship with Aaron. Okay. Um, my relationship with him was very um, sexual. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, I uh, We were in a truck one day, and... He was wearing this Under Armour, and I, I I know I heard that Sandusky gave him a bunch of gifts. And now I don't know if he had that on, like that was a gift from him or not. But I I don't would wouldn't understand if he did something to Aaron. Why would you keep something that was given to you? Why wouldn't you like? trash it or burn it if something would have happened he wouldn't have never even kept what he had on him or burned it now i don't i'm not sure if that's the actual clothing that was given to him i'm just relating that to i know he got gifts from sandusky but for the record you don't know you've never seen him for sure talk about hey jerry gave me this or something like that he never he never said anything he didn't act like he was molested. Okay, let's hold 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 on a second. When you say he didn't act like he was molested, what do you mean by that? Well, when he he was very sexual with me, like I said, and he wasn't really embarrassed by the way he looked or what he was doing. So he obviously didn't wasn't uncomfortable. Now, usually when someone's like raped or a victim. 
victim, they get a little uncomfortable when they're in a sexual, like, time period. But I, you couldn't even tell at all. And he would have, I don't know why he wouldn't have said anything to me before we started, because it would have, like, made him more comfortable. He never, like, it, it just, it's just really weird to me that that, that wasn't brought up when we were even dating, or he, he never talked about it. And he never mentioned Jerry at all to you. No. Which is, let's let's just pretend for a second that Aaron's telling the truth. Now, I've been on record saying I don't believe that he is, but let's just pretend for a second that he is, right? People can understand why he wouldn't mention to a girlfriend that he was sexually abused. However, it, this was a huge thing going on in his life at that time. Yeah. Um, and for him to never even allude to it even a little bit seems a, a bit odd, don't you think? Yes, it's very odd because he was very, like, confident and cocky about, like, himself, his image the entire time. So I don't it, – do, it just doesn't rub me the way that a victim would be acting. Now, going back to the time period again, something just occurred to me. And I don't remember exactly when this happened, but during this basic time period, Aaron got in a, a rather serious car accident. Yes. Yes, that was after – I'm pretty sure that was after we dated. Now, why are you yes. saying it was after you dated? Um, I know he was in an accident, and that was around the time period I was talking to him. I don't remember if the sexual actions happened before or after, it's a very long time, but I, I do remember him getting into a bad car accident. Okay, well, let that. me ask you this. Just maybe we can try and figure it out together. How did you find out about his car accident? His car accident was leaked online. I know that, and he was talking about it online through Facebook. Now, I, I don't have any proof because he blocked me, and we don't keep in contact anymore. Okay, but, let, but, but let's, just, let's just figure this out then. So he didn't tell you about the car accident. You heard yeah. about it. So that would indicate yeah. to me that you dated him before the car accident, right? Yes. Because obviously if, it, if you had dated him afterwards and you heard about it, he probably would have told you about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that helps us pin down the time period a little bit, which I think is still consistent with the fall of your sophomore year of yeah. 2010. I think that is still where we're going here. Now, um, so let's go back to what convinced you that Aaron was not sexually abused. So you had this relationship with him. He was very, very sexual. By the way, I've been told that by virtually everybody who's ever – been in touch with him. I mean, I, I, when you say he was very sexual, uh, can you give us a little bit more insight into what you mean by that? Well, I know he wanted to have sex with me, and it seemed like he only wanted to have sex with me because a lot of guys were like that back then. But um, with me, he wanted to like right in a truck instead of like anywhere else, and it was, it was very weird. That he he didn't care, so I mean it was like in a truck. It was not. It was light outside. <laughs> I mean, it was just very weird that. He so he was. Like so that. he was very confident, very sexual. Yeah. He had no inhibitions. Was not insecure or or no. at all anything like that. And there was no nothing tentative about him that might be indicative of having been. Abused sexually. No, there was no indication at all that he was. And by the way, are you aware of the nature of his allegations against Jerry by any chance? I know I'm aware that he says he was molested by him. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, his story, which evolved quite dramatically <laughs> over uh, from from late 2008 to the trial in 2012... Uh, his story changes very, very dramatically. But but in the end, at trial, he claims that Jerry forced him into at least a hundred acts of, of oral sex, um, which is quite a lot. Uh, yeah. um, and obviously would cause an enormous amount of damage on on any anybody, but specifically a teenage boy. 
Um, that does that sound plausible to you? Yeah, but I I don't like it. It wouldn't if he was that like damaged from all that. He wouldn't even want to like do sexual acts on anyone because he would be so damaged of it. Honestly, a lot of victims sometimes end up that way themselves and I never heard of him doing anything to someone else mm -hmm. so I don't it, it just doesn't make sense to me on what are you basing your perceptions of how a sex abuse victim would perceive sexuality um I, I know people that were sexually abused and myself um I was forced into a situation that I didn't want to be in. And when I was um, forced, I I was afraid. I was devastated. It it, it ruined. It, it was hard to get out of. And some, some people go to, like, doing things to other people. Some people end up um, just not wanting, not comfortable in that type of situation or the position that occurred. Um, I was very talkative, with, like outspoken with other people about it. And that it just, I think Aaron would have said something to me or talked to me about it because I'm very open and honest. And I, and, I, and I like when people talk to me about stuff that's going on with them. It just, it, he would have said something if he had anything that happened. So you were a sex abuse victim yourself. And you, and you know other people who are sex abuse victims. Yes. And, and you're somebody who is open about this kind of thing, and yet mm -hmm. you saw no sign of anything like that in Aaron, nor did he ever remotely mention anything like this to you. No. Now, okay, so you have this. Let me ask you one other thing about the Well, let me ask you a couple other things about the relationship. I've been told... And there's, it's, it's hard to put this in a way that's sensitive, but I, I think it's somewhat relevant here. I've been told that Aaron is very, very proud of himself sexually. Uh, is that is that a fair assessment based on your experience? Yes. yes, he was very proud of himself. He was very positive about his body and everything when I was with him. He was very what? He was very positive and, like, cocky about how he he was and how fit he was and all that when we were together. Okay. Yeah, that's consistent with what other people have told me and that he also brags about himself quite a bit. Is that Yeah. Is that fair? Okay. Now, yeah. now how, how you've already mentioned that he wasn't a great boyfriend although that he, he never abused you. Um so w what did you make of him? From from a standpoint of a moral character, I mean, did, did, was he somebody who you could trust or not trust, or what, what did you make of him that way? Honestly, I thought I could trust him, and then um, when the relationship went down the road, I got calls, and um, when my stepsister found out something about another girl, and I confronted him about it, he was cheating on me with someone else. And he was lying about it and flirting with another girl. Okay. And I was devastated. So he pretty much is prone to a lie and cheat. So, so you consider him to be a liar? Yes. But was it only in the realm of being uh, uh, truth? I mean, as far as the relationship and infidelity is concerned, or was he also lacking... Uh, in honesty in other areas he didn't really he wasn't honest about like his family or he didn't he had never mentioned much about his mom or I read online I had to find out online about his what his father his stepfather right is that correct right which is very awesome because I, I didn't even know about that but you're talking, you you're talking about you're talking about Eric Daniels right yes her stepfather is currently in prison for child molestation yeah and it, it explains why he wouldn't be too open about that that was, I don't know I I mean I know he didn't mention that but I mean that stuff could be a little bit more funny. we don't want to talk about that 
Well, the Eric Daniels story to me has always been very strange because if you think about it in the big picture, what are the chances that that Aaron has two consecutive male role models in his life, Eric Daniels and then Jerry Sandusky, who both turn out to be serial pedophiles? Yeah, that's, that is kind of weird. I know I've, I've heard from Kayla and people that know Aaron that his mom is some type of manipulative person to get what she wants mm-hmm. money-wise. Right. And, like, tell tell people this or brainwash her son pretty much to doing what she wants. But you don't – but that's, that's stuff you've heard about, Dawn. You've never yes, experienced I know, it. I know. I know. Yes, because I don't – I never met her. Okay. I've, I've heard stuff, but I've never, right. you know, I've never met them. Fair enough. I just I just want to make sure we know what it is you've personally experienced and what it is you've just heard. So, yeah. okay, so let's fast forward. Is there anything else about the relationship that you found interesting or relevant in retrospect? Um, no. Okay. All I know is I didn't have much information about his wife that he didn't really want to talk about. Okay, so let's fast forward. So you date him in what we think is sometime around the fall of 2010. Jerry Sandusky gets arrested in November of 2011. Now, when that happened, I mean, I'm assuming you were aware of that story, right? I didn't know until it was on the news and everything else. Right, but I mean, when it, when it, when it hit the news, you were paying attention to it, right? Yeah. Okay, now... You didn't know at that time, because no one did immediately, that Aaron was his primary accuser, did you? Yeah, I I did not know really right away until actually my mom found out first, and then she told me what was going on, and I was, I freaked out. I was like, what? Because my mom works for Penn State, and so did my dad. My dad retired from Penn State. Okay, so... Jerry gets arrested. Joe Paterno gets fired. And then it gets leaked out that Aaron Fisher is the name of the number one accuser. And your mom tells you this. Is that, do I have all this accurate? Yes. Okay. And your reaction when your mom tells you that Aaron is an accuser of Jerry Sandusky is what? Very, very upset that I wasn't, like, told. I was shocked. I was really mad that... No one told me anything, and yeah. Now, were you blindsided? Were you were you immediately suspicious of that claim? Um, not right away. And then I was thinking in my head, it doesn't add up because when I was with him, like when I found out it was like when he was really young, and then I dated him. It was when I was with him. It didn't make sense because he never explained or talked about it with me. Okay. Um, now, at what point do you remember thinking Aaron is lying about Jerry? Um, well, I kind of knew after I was thinking about it. And then what really actually sparked my memory is I knew um, his neighbor. And I was told by Josh, um, what he heard and I was really shocked even more after what I heard that um, he heard the conversation with um, Aaron and his his mom and Don about the money and all that and about the sanction and trying to get more money out of everything that happened. Okay, and so was, let's hold on. You're talking about Josh Ravel, right? Yes. Now how did you know, how did you have to come to have a conversation with Josh Ravel? Well, Kayla that's Kayla's um, that's Kayla's uh, half brother. That's mm-hmm. how I know him. Right. And and just so you know, Kayla and I have had a very long. Uh, yes, I know. Message exchange, although she's never agreed to speak with me on uh, on recording. She's she has uh, provided me with a lot of information via Facebook messaging. Yeah. Okay. So you had a co- direct conversation with Josh about this. Yes. Because um, he was his neighbor, and he told me about it, and I was. Um, what spark? What do you remember when that conversation was approximately? Um, I know it was years after, 
this was after all the sanctions came out. Mm -hmm. um, he did, he didn't. Um, this is like right when it was on the TV and everything. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Do you remember what so. what facilitated your conversation with Josh? Why did why did that happen? Um, I know we were talking about Kayla, and then I know Aaron's name came up. And we talked about the scandal, and um, then he told me what what okay. all he heard. And did that convince you that Aaron was not telling the truth about Jerry? Yeah, after I heard that. Now, so why did you never tell, or did you, that I'm unaware of, uh, why why did you not come forward to, ta to tell people what you felt about this? Actually, I did start telling people when I found out. I was very, very mad. I was, I was horrified because my parents work for Penn State, and I didn't want the name being trashed around. And like my my life was Penn State, and I loved the team, and I loved football, and it really hurt me to see what Joe was going through. And I just sparked. I started commenting on stuff on the media and telling them this is not right. I know the real story. All of that, I started commenting on, hmm. on articles. Well, I but, wish you I um, wish you had contacted me sooner. I mean, I uh, didn't actually know who you were. And, and then I saw I saw your name pop up, and um, Josh told me about you. Okay. And I I had to reach out to you when I found out that I could I could talk to someone about it. So that is Megan Kern, former girlfriend of Aaron Fisher, victim number one in the Jerry Sandusky case. She and I had. Some more conversation after that where I, and this has happened a lot, where I will, I'll do an interview with somebody. I don't want to prejudice them. But then I fill them in on lots of other things about the case. And then inevitably the, the bells start ringing, like big time. Like I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the things I mentioned to her is, you know, we now know from Jerry Sandusky's medical records that he basically... Not only did he have no testosterone, he effectively had no testicles, Jerry Sandusky, at least at the time period when he knew Aaron Fisher. It, this has probably been a lifelong issue for Jerry uh, with this thing called hypogonadism or perhaps some other medical related issues. But I, I asked her, I said, because I know Aaron from other people is very proud of his own uh, genitalia. If he really had oral sex, a hundred times plus with a guy who had virtually no testicles. Forget about even whether that's logistically possible. Would Aaron have mentioned this? Is this something that Aaron would have had any hesitancy to notice or, or mention? And she's like, no, of course not. Of course, of course, that's the first thing he would recognize and the first thing he would mention. And he's done dozens and dozens of interviews with lots of people about this prosecution, defense, uh, you know, ch child care workers or uh, child services, his therapist, uh, you know, all sorts of people, reporters. He's never mentioned anything. And this is a case where they were desperate for some actual evidence. There's a distinguishing characteristic would have been perfect evidence. Yet he never mentions it. And this is not an, a one-off. This is not isolated. This is everywhere you go in this case. This is the way it works. And so anyway, thank you to, to Megan Kern for having the courage to tell her story. I hope you got something out of it. And again, this is just one of, like I said, at least 13, 13 people close to Aaron Fisher that have come forward. And I'm not talking about like, you know, people that are pissed off at him because he's rich now and they're, and they're not. I'm talking about people are still close to him. Two aunts by marriage, one of whom's been ostracized from the family, but okay. Uh, I have not released those yet, by the way. Uh, a couple of very close buddies at the time of these allegations, one of whom, by the way, was a sex abuse victim himself. And, uh, and that one's really fascinating because this guy says to Aaron, you know, um, Aaron, buddy, I didn't realize you'd gone through this because Aaron never mentioned this to anybody. Uh, I'm really sorry because the story comes out public. I'm so sorry to hear this. It happened to me, bud. So if you ever needed anyone to talk to, come to me. I, I'm happy to talk to you about it. What does Aaron do? Cuts him out of his life. Gee, I wonder why. 
I wonder why Aaron was was hesitant about uh, having a an actual sex male sex abuse victim as a friend in his life. Uh, I'm talking about friends, uh, not, not just friends of his, but other girlfriends, uh, supporters who hosted a rally for him, but then realized they got duped. Uh, uh, I'm talking about parents of buddies, people who Aaron stayed over their house many, many times, lied about when he started wetting the bed. He was, he was wetting the bed way before he ever met Jerry Sandusky. I mean, the whole Aaron Fisher story is a fraud. And this is just a, another important piece of that puzzle. As I said, uh, stay tuned. Make sure you uh, check out my Twitter feed, Facebook, and FramingPaterno.com for any new information and updates on this case. And as I said, things could get very interesting very soon. Until then, please make sure you uh, share this uh, podcast via social media, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. And also, do yourself a favor. If you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. Our websites are FramingPaterno.com and FreeSpeechBroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.